my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. To me, data isn't just numbers. Data is also words. We struck a relationship with Twitter to be actually the first one to anonymously connect tweets to purchasers. What I learned is that there are words that people use in social media that can tell you whether or not they're going to go to a film six months before that film comes out. It is astonishing. I'm Bob Pittman, and welcome to Math & Magic. On each episode, I chat with someone I truly admire to explore their stories from the frontiers of marketing. And we're going to cover everything from the math of marketing all the way to the magic of marketing, which is, of course, the creative side of the business. On this episode, we've got someone who covers the range in a very unexpected way, which we'll come to in a second. Just a note to listeners, this episode was recorded in early March 2019, before the Fox-Disney merger. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest. We're sitting here today with the genius of marketing, Julie Rieger. Some know her from her perch high atop the industry as president, chief data strategist, 
and head of media at 20th Century Fox. Did I get that right? You got it right. Okay. And that sounds like to some people listening, I'm sure that that's a mathematician, but wrong, really wrong. I've known Julie for a while. I've done business with her. We've done some exciting stuff, which we'll talk a little bit about today, some of the common stories. But she is one of the most out-of-the-box thinkers I know, which is surprising with a title like Chief Data Strategist. And she also has a whole other dimension. I'll give you a little preview as the ghost photographer, but we'll come to that. She's a native of Oklahoma, made her way to L.A. via Dallas and San Francisco, state champion golfer when she was younger. You still play golf? Oh, I'm going to disappoint you. No, oh, not wow. really. I have so many other things to do. There's so many things. Okay, Julie, we're going to start with one of our favorite features, which is you in 60 seconds. So here we go. Do you prefer cats or dogs? Both. Beaches or mountains? Mountains. Pancakes or waffles? All of the above. Logan or Deadpool? Deadpool. Ooh. Sunrise or sunsets? Sunset. Oklahoma or California? California. Sorry, Okies. Arnold Palmer or Tiger Woods? Arnold Palmer. That was easy. Ooh. Love that. Okay. Okay, now it's going to get a little harder. What'd you eat for breakfast? A vegan protein shake. Topic you can talk about forever? The spiritual world. Okay. The other side. Smartest person you know. That one's so hard. I have a list. I have to say, one of the smartest people I know is actually Stacy Snyder because she's creative and intelligent. Yes, she is. Childhood hero. Nancy Lopez. First job. I was a cashier at the Quick Stop 2 in Miami, Oklahoma. You ever go back to visit? Occasionally. Oh, good. Favorite TV show? Ever? Ever. I've got to say the Golden Girls. Ooh, historical idol? Joan of Arc. Most overlooked actor. Hmm. Oh my God, that's so hard in this business. Rebel Wilson. I just love her and I hope she's listening. Best place to photograph a ghost. My backyard. Ooh. Quote to live by. Oh, I got you. Are you ready? Yeah. We treat people how we feel about ourselves. Where'd that quote come from? Me. I like it. We'll write that down. That's a good bumper sticker. It is a good bumper sticker. Movie that should be required viewing. Hidden Figures. Who would play you in a biopic? I hope it would be Tiffany Haddish because I love her and she's really funny, but I don't think she'd take the gig. Spirit Animal. Black Panther. Black Panther actually protects us from the underworld. Thank you, then. What did you want to be when you were growing up? A professional golfer. And here you are. Not playing golf. Let's get started. Let's go to the beginning. What was it like growing up? Paint the picture a little bit of growing up in Oklahoma. It seems like a long way from uh, California. It is a really long way. You know, probably the best way to describe what growing up in Oklahoma was like is that my closest friends in the world today are friends from there. It was like growing up in a family of 16,000. And you still stay in contact with them? Yes. Absolutely do. Share values, share past, share ideas, share love. What is it? There is nothing in this world that can replace history. And sometimes though that history, are you ready, is from another lifetime. And I am convinced I came back to this one with a group of people that we've been cruising around the world for thousands of years together. Boom. Well, I'm glad I finally found you here because I've been missing you for the last million years. Exactly. Where have you been? I know. I'm here now. Your mom was an accountant. Yeah. Your dad was in the military. You followed a radically different path. What do you think put you on this path and what was their influence? Probably the biggest influence was my mother. 
actually not probably, it was most definitely my mother. My mother was a feminist before it was cool. And she has always believed that everyone was equal and brought me up that way and told me over and over and over again, you can be anything you want. What she gave me was a very giant canvas. And I think that's probably the most powerful thing, the biggest influence that I had. I don't think it really matters where you grow up. I mean, I think that's very limiting for people. If you step back and if you look at yourself and look at the world and think, I don't have to be one thing. I don't. I know you don't. I don't have to be one thing. I can so go hillbilly on you, though. I mean, I'll go, I'll go Southern in just a minute if you want me to. But I can go girl from Oklahoma that sounds like she's not very smart. I can do all that kind of stuff. But I'm not just from Oklahoma. I'm also not just a lesbian. I am also not just a nerd. I'm also not just a writer. I am all of it. I am everything. And it doesn't matter where I come from. You were a star golfer. Yeah. Oh, well, first of all, how'd you get to be a star golfer at an early age <laughs> in Oklahoma? Uh, not a lot of grass on the greens there, I suspect. We have two things in Oklahoma. We have athletes and cattle. So athletics is a big thing in that state. I mean, it is from football to football. You know, I grew up in this little town, and, it, and it's kind of a crappy town in all fairness, this little crappy town, and we had a golf course. We had a country club, actually, and it was $35 to join. You can't join 24-hour fitness for what my mom paid for us to join the country club. So I just picked up a club. I held it like a baseball bat, and I was hitting it further and better than most adults the first time I picked up a club. I was seven years old. I had three clubs. I had a seven, a five, and a uh, nine iron. No putter. Not then. Eventually got one. Kick them in. Works. Right. <laughs> when, when did you tell yourself no to golf, and when did you say yes to media? Oh, gosh. In Chicago in 1988, if you must know the place and the date, because I remember I was had an internship at Cats Communications. We love cats. I saw your eyes just then. I uh, worked for this wonderful woman named Marilyn Moss, and I loved it. I loved advertising. I loved media. I loved the challenge of it. And, you know, golf was one of those things that, you know, you've been playing since you were seven. And in 19, what I say, 88, I was a hair from, I was around 20-ish. That's like a, you can be a cop for that long and retire after that. You know, it's like there's government jobs that are shorter length than the time I played golf. So I think it was just my cycle. I was done. How did you get from that moment to here you are today? I transferred to SMU in Dallas. Why? Because it felt like a better education for me. So I went from University of Oklahoma, which was a full golf scholarship. And then I felt like I really needed to actually learn, learn something new and not just how to play golf. So I went to SMU, and my senior year at SMU, Lanier Timmerlin, who formerly Bozell Dallas was named after, was a professor. They kind of plucked me out of the class in the early 90s or 90, 91, when we had an ad recession, when there were, you know, 25 people lined up for a shitty job. They gave me that shitty job, and that's how that started. And the shitty job was? Was assistant media planner at Bozell Dallas, and I was working on JCPenney, God rest its soul. And did you think you had died and gone to heaven with that job? Oh, my God. I didn't even ask how much it paid when they called me to offer me the job. I didn't care. How much did it pay? One, six thousand bones. Sixteen thousand wow. bucks. I used to go and eat lunch at Sam's Warehouse. I ate samples for a good year. And then from there, where? Then I met my now wife, Suzanne. We've been together 26 years. 
Congratulations. Thank you. And we decided that we need to live a little freer and have some liberation. So we moved to San Francisco and had the time of our lives. It was so much fun. Oh my gosh. And I worked at ad agencies. I worked at a small shop called Winkler McManus. I worked at Foot Conan Belding. And then I ended up running the Hewlett Packard business globally for about a, uh, maybe a decade. Sounds about right. That was quite a undertaking. I don't think I slept for a decade. And, and the go-go years of Hewlett Packard. Oh, in the Carly years, the big spending years. Those were fun. And then that brought me to Los Angeles where I pitched the 20th Century Fox business actually on behalf of the agency. And very quickly, like within a year, my client had decided to move on and went back to the research side of things. And they uh, asked me to join. So I did. And then here I sit with you. Wow. That's pretty amazing. It's a great journey. Right? And what do you think in your parents or in your background put you on this path? They didn't know what a data strategist was in those days. No, they didn't. I think what's so interesting about my job is that I am the worst technical person to grace the earth. I miss clickers. I miss dials. Like what I would do for an oven that just had a dial, I would give like limbs for. I think my gift to the business world, to the entertainment industry, and even when I work at ad agencies was more of a vision and a strategist. There are plenty of people who their gift is being an expert at like writing code, analyzing, you know, tedious numbers. My job started out as a vision. And I think that the visionary part, again, came from my mother. I also think we come into this world with jobs to do and with gifts we already have that have nothing to do with our parents. Jim Giannopoulos, who was a former chairperson of Fox that I love very much, said to me the day he left, you know what, Jules, I've loved working with you. I am a little surprised, I have to confess, that you can operate so well in the corporate world. So I was kind of like, okay, oh God, where's this going? What's this man going to say to me? And he said, because you're an iconoclast. And he goes, and we need them. They just have a hard time working in a business structure. So the first thing I do is I look up iconoclast because I had no earthly idea what it meant. That's where the Oklahoma comes in. We didn't have a very good educational system. And I'm from Mississippi. We looked up to people from Oklahoma. It's true. The only jokes I have are actually Nebraska jokes. Like that's all I got. That's all I learned. You want, I'm going to tell you one. What is the N? stand for on the Nebraska helmet? What? Knowledge. So I think... We'll, you, we'll, we'll get a couple of calls over I think that one, you right? guys, I think you guys also need a laugh track. Is there a story that is how you found and fell in love with data? There is. What was so attractive to me about data was what we learned about what our customers were thinking and feeling had nothing to do with what we actually thought. So it actually proved to me how wrong we were, and that's how I fell in love. We made this movie called Love, Simon. And, you know, we're the first major motion picture company to have a wide release of, like, a teenage gay boy and his struggles. And we were like, oh, you know, could we get moms to go to this? And so I went to the creative team and said, hey, do you guys mind making, like, a 45-second spot for me so I can go in and see if we can attract, you know, moms that might want to come to this movie. So they did that, and the spot was called Dear Mom. <laughs> Very clever with our titles. And what we found was actually that moms saw this topic of sexuality equal to sex, because I saw a lot of R-rated movies that came up. 
And then I looked on social and saw that they were viewing at three times their normal rate, but they were commenting at a third of their normal rate. And I said, ooh, this is too taboo. So let's not go spend the company's money here because that was the story that it told us. So I can tell stories from their stories because I love storytelling. The first thing I tell, used to tell my class at USC when I taught, one is if you look at your computer or your phone, I'm going to dock you a grade. But the second thing that I said to them was, I do this because I believe storytellers do for the soul what doctors do for the physical body. So I believe in storytelling. I believe in the ones you make up. I believe in the ones that are real. I believe in telling stories about our customers through their behaviors, through what they try to tell us. And that's how I fell in love with data is that it was just another source for me to tell stories from. One of the reasons I've always been drawn to you is because you don't follow the trends. You follow the consumer, which allowed you to back up and say, well, this is what's really going on and let's figure it out. When I first started this with Stacy, I was fearful that creative executives would see me walk down the hall and run and hide. It's like, uh oh, there's the data nerd and she's going to try to tell me what to do. Can I tell you the first people that lined up in front of my office when this stuff started to take off? They were the creative executives. They're like, okay, I have this project. Can you help me understand what it can look like? What's our greatest potential? Where are our weaknesses with this? It was them. And what about directors? Did they get into this as well, or did they want to stay away from it and you just tell them how to market it? I've dealt with more producers. Mainly what I do with them is help understand customers' likes and dislikes. I can go look at a franchise and say, you might think this is who is part of this franchise, but it's actually this kind of person, you know, Planet of the Apes. There is a particular type of person that loves that movie, and it's not who you think it is. And the funny thing it is, it's people who like movies like Tarzan, King Kong, and Ant-Man. Because here's what they all have in common, is they're all retro sci-fi. Retro sci-fi is not a real genre. Turns out it is, though, huh? But it is in my world. I would take, you know, the six genres, seven genres that we have, and I would turn it into probably 200. Because I think that's how nuanced we are. Right. And do you take 200 to 400 eventually? I think that it should go to 400. We are complex creatures. And we can't always identify why we do things. But when we can look at your data, we can start to figure out some whys. What did you learn about how to market The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman? I've learned my best lessons when I've made mistakes. So with The Greatest Showman, we have Hugh Jackman, who we all love and brilliant. And what happened is that when we released our first trailer, we actually used one of the tools that my data science team built called Nightcrawler. What we found is those that were watching the trailer, the movies that they had bought tickets to were not what we thought they were. We thought they were, you know, this was like a musical, right? What we thought it would be would be things like Les Mis because she was in it. You know, we thought it would be La La Land because it was a musical and it was recent. It wasn't. It was Cinderella. Certainly Pitch Perfect was in there. It was Beauty and the Beast. It was Hidden Figures. The ones who loved our movie from the beginning were those that loved stories of underdogs. This is a story of how narrow we can be in the industry and actually how complex our customers are. We had to adjust our messaging. We cannot go and spend the good company money chasing after an audience that's not really going to go. We need to spend it after those that have already shown interest, and this is the type of person that it is. And so we ended up you know, being able to shift. We clearly didn't open the movie to big bucks, 
But we started shifting toward the end, which I like to think helped us. And the beauty about data is that we went back in to do a look back. And when we first looked at those that watched the trailer, we went and compared those that bought tickets to our movie and then what tickets they had bought in the past. So it's the pre and the post. In the post, it's the same list of movies that showed up. It was Beauty and the Beast. It was Cinderella. It was Wonder. It was Hidden Figures. It was also Pitch Perfect. And so you changed the creative and the direction. How long did that take? How quickly can a company like Fox move? Oh, Fox can move fast. It's part of the DNA of Fox. Fox can move very quickly. More with Julie Rieger right after the break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be. To be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast. And this time, with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, 
the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Math & Magic. We're here with Julie Rieger. You supposedly have a proprietary data set that gives you <laughs> studio insights to 25, 30 million moviegoers, right? I do. Okay. And they're named after Marvel characters? They are X-Men characters. Oh, X-Men, okay. And now you have an AI named Merlin? Uh, yes, because I like wizards. Oh, I like this. And you get to name them. I do. See, that's the beauty. You create something. It's like if you're a builder, right? You buy a piece of land, you put a road in, you get to name the road. I got to name the road. One of them... <laughs> One of the most exciting meetings I've had is I was in a meeting with you and we were talking about iHeart. Do you want to know what I said to you? What'd you tell me? I actually looked at you and I said, Bob, you're a tech company. What in the hell is wrong with you? You have all this great data. You're a tech company. You're both. You're an entertainment, audio, da, da, da. but you're a tech company. And so what did you do? So what I did, we had this little movie called Bohemian Rhapsody. You may have heard of it. A little bitty movie. A tiny movie called Bohemian Rhapsody. And what we did, we had your data anonymized. I want to make sure I say this properly so nobody, no lawyers start calling either one of us. Anyway, so we matched folks that had downloaded your app and used your app to our moviegoers. And the reason why we were comfortable with looking at your app data is because roughly 90% that those that have downloaded and used the app also listen to terrestrial. Correct. So I was very comfortable with that. So once we matched it in my pool, I had people that were moviegoers and I had people that were moviegoers and also iHeart customers. Then we created a campaign around Bohemian Rhapsody with you guys. And so we launched the trailer with you guys. You talked about magic and creativity, which I thought was so brilliant because in the film, I have a feeling I'm not going to ruin anything here for any of your listeners. Spoiler alert. I know, spoiler alert. There was a time when the record producer who's played by Michael Myers said, nobody's going to play a song on the radio that's six minutes long. Six minutes is too long. You guys came back to us. It was just, it was like magic and said, we're going to roadblock six minutes across our entire network. And once I pulled myself up off the floor and was able to utter a word, the word was genius. And we did it right before the movie launched. So what happened is the movie did all right. And then after about a month, when I got four weeks of data back, I was able to look and see who actually bought tickets to our movie. And I already had my moviegoer database. And then I had the database within the database that was movies and iHeart. And what was interesting is that your customers were buying tickets 12% at a higher rate than those that were just ongoing moviegoers. 12%. Is that good? 12% because I promised early on I wasn't going to use the F word. So I'll say fantastic. It was fan freaking tastic I think what everyone in this business is dying for is attribution. Right. 
dying because they just don't know if it's good money or bad money that they're spending. And I also went in to go check to see if, are we just getting a music fan? I just wanted to be able to answer my own questions in my head. It was just like a fluke thing. And then I went back in and I looked at other movies that we had done with you all in the last four years. And I found the same pattern. Now, Borap was a tick higher, which I think is where the music might play in. Also, the stunt we did was And the stunt was brilliant. That sub-segment always came in higher than the general moviegoer segment. So I was really confident in what we had done. Everybody does attribution, or they think what they're doing with attribution is all about digital. Like, I'm going to run a banner, I'm going to do a video on YouTube or whatever. My first attribution project was with you doing it with radios and likely character. Look, we were so excited about it. One, for getting someone with your kind of skill set to believe in us and take that leap. I have to congratulate you on doing the roadblock. Someone in the Los Angeles market that works here took a video of them punching between all of our radio stations in L.A., and you're hitting the same song by a different artist, all playing their version of Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, you couldn't get away from it. It was pretty amazing. It is amazing, right? I mean, all the artists with the covers that was, was so amazing is that that became into a phenomenon. And let's not forget what happened on the charts with the album. Right. Right? So many amazing things that happened. Now, listen, the movie's amazing. Was the only thing that contributed to the success of the campaign we did? No, because the movie was incredible. We had other great creative, but was it a 12% nudge? Heck yeah, it was. And I can tell you from my data science team, because they come into me very objective. Like these are the guys and all my data scientists are guys. I bet their sock drawers are incredibly organized. They come into me and they are clean slate every time and they are factual. They come into me and they say, well, Julie, here's what we found. And they say it with a straight face. And I, again, so from the time I fell off the floor, picked myself up with the stunt to picking myself up off the floor with the 12% going, you've got to be kidding me. In my wildest dreams, it would be five. Wow. It was 12. And do you think it's because radio is really the conversation? It sounds like your friends talking about the movie. Is it that part of the brain that it sounds like I'm hearing people talk about it? I think with anything, it's never one answer, but I think that that's part of it. I think another part of it and why I have loved radio for so long is because of, again, it's the human nature, right? So now technology has set people free to do what they want when they want except in a car. right? So they are, a negative word to use is trapped. I like to use the word, they're surrendered. They're In a car, you have to surrender. You're forced to surrender. And what better to surrender to than someone you've been listening to a good part of your life, or you're going to hear a new story, or you're going to be introduced to a new song, or you're going to hear about a movie maybe you hadn't heard about, or get excited about one that you haven't heard about. And our business, we talk to our on-air personalities, and we say, you know, you're somebody's best friend riding in that empty seat with them every day to work. And the greatest talent we have turn out to be a very interesting friend. And they also talk about what's happening in your city. In that moment in time. In that moment. And you're part of that because what we all long to be is a part of something. Whether we want to be a part of a family, want to be a part of a community, you want to be a part of the city. Like that's why we have pride in our local football teams or our college teams. Like it's that pride of that connection. And I think your talent gives them another layer of connection. And we all desperately want to be connected, to be a part. 
I have a quick story for you that I don't know if I've ever told you. For about four years, I taught entertainment marketing at USC. During my tenure, I you know, ran the gamut of talking about various parts of marketing with them. I said, oh, you guys must only listen to, you know, Spotify or Pandora. Can I tell you? They're like, yeah, but we listen mostly to the radio. I go, really? Like, I was shocked. I go, you do? They're like, yeah. And I said, well, why? And they said, because I can listen to that stuff anytime. But when I'm like driving, obviously this is LA, right? right. So we live in our cars. And they're like, when I'm going somewhere, it's like I'm out in the world and I want to feel a part of that world. These are college students that are telling me. I said, okay, everybody put up your hand who listens to the radio live. Every single hand went up into the air. And that's when it dawned on. That's when it clicked with me. And it's something that data can't ever tell you because we want to rationalize either in or out of data. Radio is that thing that connects everyone from 13 to 80 plus. It's that one thing. We're social animals, going back to human nature. And my music collections want to to be by myself. I want to sort of be in my zone. The radio is what's going on in the world. And we can't stay away from it too long. It's interesting. You find all this from the other angle. And and obviously, we look at it in depth and a lot. It's interesting in research studies. You'll often hear, say, where'd you hear about that? Um, It was either a friend or on the radio. They've confused it. And it's in that same part of their brain. We talk about the car. It's interesting what Alexa's doing now is opening up the home to us again. 40% of homes used to have a clock radio. Now it's down to about 18%. But suddenly the new clock radio is Alexa. And we're finding this surge in the home. And I think people thought, oh, they're going to listen to their music. Turns out the number one use on Alexa is AM, FM radio. For the same reasons. Exactly. I want somebody to keep me company while I'm brushing my teeth in the morning, while I'm doing some work around the house. Or by the way, go to the cash register the person working at the cash register at the convenience store, they're listening to radio. Yeah, they are. Well, listen, enough hyping of us. I know, but I, I think it's crucial to talk about this stuff because it is about, you know, we're not a number. We're human. Right. Most people looking from the outside who don't know you personally would think you're a math person. Let me hit one of your high-profile magic moments. What did you do with the New York Times for the book, Thief, back in mm. 2013 for Legendary? Oh, that was, that was a great moment. That was a great moment. So... We made this little movie based on a novel called The Book Thief, written by Marcus Zusak. It was about this young girl set in the Nazi time in Germany. She couldn't read. Really, the heart of what the movie was, was the power of words. I kept thinking, I remember sitting in a room going, how do you communicate to folks how powerful words are? I came to the conclusion in that moment that the way you teach somebody the power of something is you actually take it away. So I went and talked to the New York Times. Actually, true story is I actually talked to the LA Times and they wanted to charge so much money for my idea and they actually wanted to try to hold it over my head and take it from me. I'm just telling you, that was a nasty moment. Notice I didn't apologize to the LA Times because I'm still bitter. So I took it to the New York Times, really thinking they would say no to the idea of having blank pages. And literally blank, no, this is an advertisement on it, none of that. They loved it so much. Because I think that's who they are. It's kind of like in the radio business, taking a voice away, right? It's like taking words away from a journalist. So they did it. This was 2013, maybe, almost six years ago. Things didn't go really viral like they do now, like things didn't catch on. That moment when people were opening up their newspaper and seeing it, they started to tweet about it, write about it. And what's crazy is that it is now in curriculums and colleges around the world about having an idea that is 
deeper than surface, right? That's not just a superficial, like get somebody's attention, like it had purpose to it. So that's actually really cool is that it's actually gone down in a little bit of history. You got a lot of history. Let me hit a few. Okay. Let's go to the science side of marketing here for a few minutes. Talk a little bit about how you analyze conversations on Twitter and what have you learned? To me, data isn't just numbers. Data is also words. When you want to understand what a customer is and what they think and what they feel, you're not going to get it just based on purchase data, numbers, ones and zeros. You're going to get it based on the language that they use and how they communicate. We struck a relationship with Twitter to be actually the first one to anonymously connect tweets to purchasers. What I learned is that there are words that people use in social media that can tell you whether or not they're going to go to a film six months before that film comes out. It is astonishing. There's like a bag of words that people use. And there's another bag of words that people use, and they're not going. There seems to be some consistency. I brought in a brilliant woman named Dr. Pam Rutledge who has her PhD in media psychology who helps us understand all of this. The first movie we did it with was Logan. I mean, Logan was a success, but I could tell based on language that people that didn't buy tickets. And it was really fascinating. When you get people who are all wishy-washy, and of course in our business, thinking that, well, we can change their mind. No, actually, no, you can't. You're not going to shift them. This is just kind of where they sit. Now, granted, this is all based on Twitter, right? right? right. And there's still more work to be done. But Twitter, when it's connected to ticket purchase, is a really fascinating experiment. Can you tell us a couple of those words, or is this top secret? There's a lot of them, actually. There's a bucket of definitive words, and then there's a bucket of like wishy-washy words. And the problem is what marketers have they look at the wishy-washy words and they think they're definitive. Our industry, marketing, entertainment, media, all of it, we haven't bothered to invite what I have found to be the most pivotal expertise into ours, which is psychology. Because once we invited psychology into our world is when our world got big and it's when our heads blew up. And when we started to truly understand people, and when we started to understand people is when we started making better decisions. It sounds to me like you're one of those believers that everything boils down to human nature. Oh, I very much believe in that. And if you think about what's happened in the television industry, you know, people had must-see Thursday, right? Like must-see TV and everybody made sure they got home so they could see it. That wasn't human nature, right? It's kind of like being told, well, you're going to have a turkey leg tonight. And so you like, oh, I better have a turkey later. I'm not going to eat it all. But now there's this giant buffet and you can go watch or listen to what you want when you want. That's human nature. It might be tech that enabled it, but it was human nature that made it what it is today. That's why live viewing, it's like, if you're there, great, you'll watch it. But you might want lasagna tonight. So you can save that turkey leg for when you want it. And that's human nature. So you're saying the technology is really doing nothing except unlocking human nature and Absolutely. behavior. Absolutely, it is. Okay. It also is unlocking some not great parts of our human nature, too. Like, I think it's unlocking a lot of obsessiveness that we have that is built into who we are. I think it's also unlocking some rudeness. Like, if I picked up my phone right now, that's rude. I mean, how many restaurants do you walk into and everybody has their phone up? I'm like, you're with a human. But I also think that it unlocks hiding for people, you know, like people who get addicted to Facebook, I think is a real problem. Like there's an unhealthiness to it. And that's part of our humanness. Let me jump back to movies. Yeah. You've been on the front lines a long time. 
What's the future of movies, the theaters, streaming services? I think we're going to have fewer than we have today of films and theaters. From the time that I started working in the business till now, I think the number of new releases on weekends have doubled. I don't think the industry can, I don't think the consumers can support that. One of the reasons that I believe comedies and horror will always be such a massive part of our business is because when you are alone and you see something funny, you do not laugh out loud. You might just smile. But when you're in a group and there's laughter, you laugh. And what happens when we laugh is that our body chemistry changes. Our enjoyment level goes through the roof because we're releasing endorphins. That's real. And horror, what happens in horror is that we grab each other, we touch each other, we are experiencing this together. I think family films, because you can bring everybody to it, you know, those are things that will go on. But I just think that the volume of movies is a lot. And on any given weekend, there can be four or five movies opening. Easily. Easily. I think the future of streaming services is going to be fascinating to watch. Oh my gosh. I mean, and we have front row seats. I think there's going to be a lot of fighting with what looks like parody products. I think only a few will win. Everybody's just getting their gloves on right now. And I think that streaming is going to be fascinating to watch. So the high budget limited series, hurting movies, new form of movies. How do you see it? I think that everything has hurt movies. Gaming, right? Gaming is something that has taken people away from theaters. I think that TV is better than it's ever been. Game of Thrones is better than most movies you've ever seen in your life. I kind of wish they'd show it in a theater to tell you the truth. Makes you want to go buy a much bigger television. One of the greatest shows I've ever seen. I mean, visually, storytelling. So you can get the experience in home and a longer experience. Okay, future of ad agencies. Boy, gosh, that's a tough one. I love ad agencies where I started. I think what's the intersection between a consulting company now like the Andersons and ad agencies, right? I mean, that seems to be an interesting competition that's happening. I think that neither of them have the greatest advantage, which is data, because the best data cannot be held by them. The best data can really only be held by the client. So for me, because I am disintermediated from a customer, I have to go rent that data. So when you rent a data, it's like the difference between renting a own and a home. I can't go paint the walls without asking permission. I can't go take a wall down or add a new bathroom because I'm renting the data, which in the rental agreements with data means I can't let other parties have it. Including the agency. Including the agency. And I think that they all are going to struggle with that because you don't have the purchase data. So I think they're all in trouble for that. And I think they're all in trouble because... The business is based on paying for headcount. There needs to be some more machine learning that they can get with the media business. So you think the compensation's sort of hurting the, their structure? I think it's killing all of them. And I think that recessions were terrible for the agencies because they just wanted to hold on to business and clients were in trouble and they just want to pull every cost down. I don't think agencies make the money they should make, in all honesty, to, to provide the service that they need in this fragmented world we live in. You know, back in the day, when we only had the three networks, then we had the fourth network, right? And then we had MTV. You know, to buy a TV ad was a big deal because it was expensive, right? And the talent to make those, there was only a small group of talented creative types to make those ads. I think what's happened and what's hurt the creative side of the ad business is that there's not enough talent to make all the ads that are necessary. Now, it costs you a buck if you want to put a video on. Right? You can actually buy media with a dollar right. now. 
where before it was like a million. Now it's a dollar. The problem is there's not enough creative executives to make great work anymore. It became the Costco, right, where it was once a boutique. You can't fill up the Costco with talent. You can't just manufacture talent. I've not heard that before, but you're right. It fits the facts. I think it's a problem with clients, too, because how much bad work have you seen or heard? A lot. A lot. Yeah. Sadly. Sadly. So let's jump to TV for a minute. TV's reach has dropped a lot for TV with ads in it. How is that shifting media plans? TV used to be the reach medium, foundation of every buy, then we'll add all the other stuff to it. Is that changing? I think it's definitely changed. I think there's a tremendous amount of denial from the older folks in the business. You know, when I first started, the industry itself was probably spending upwards of 90% of their budget to open a film on television. Right. Last I looked, I think that it has fallen to probably 50 or 60. I think one of the biggest problems is that, you know, the cost of television has gotten so high as well. Some of it is fantastic. There is still some really great television out right. there. People still love TV. It, I mean, they be do. careful. I'm not saying... Oh, no. People don't love TV because they do. It's they just do. Got the reach is down. And- it is. So I think that it has a hard time finding its space. Also, they're losing talent. Just how like ad agencies lost talent. I've watched them lose some great talent to go work at a Facebook, right. to go work at a Google, to go work at a Twitter, because it's a brighter, shinier object. Here we are doing a podcast. Some people are saying instead of doing the TV or instead of putting the video to it, I'll just do the story without the video. We just did a podcast with Ron Burgundy. He's back and doing, by the way, extraordinarily well. But it sort of feels like that's like the next version of the movie is there in the podcast and that I've got everything in my head I need to make that story come alive. So what did you learn from all of that that you brought to what you are today? Oh, my God. I've learned everything. I don't even know where to begin with that, Bob. That's such a magical question. I have to tell you, the best learning I've had were in the worst times, right? Because it's contrast. So it's like all the shitty stuff that happened is when I really learned. All the dumb things I've done is when I've learned. The fun parts are fun, but not the most learning and not the best education that you get. I think probably the one thing that I really have taken away from all of it is I am fearless to do anything and everything. So what's the dumbest thing you've done? Oh, God, I've done so many dumb things. Okay, pick one dumb thing and tell us what you learned from the dumb thing. Dumb things that I've done. Um, I bought a house without looking at it. That's pretty dumb. That was dumb. Oh, the best dumb one, though, was when I traveled for HP. I started taking Ambien because I was traveling all around the world. And I couldn't get off of the stuff. One night, Suzanne and I went to go see a movie. We went to go see We're the Millers. They have an RV and they're like drug mules across Mexico. And the next morning, I wake up and I have a notification on my phone that says, congratulations, you've won. And the text was from eBay. I apparently, in an ambient haze, bought a 35-foot 1986 Airstream. Do you still have it? Uh, No. I redid it, but actually donated it to victims of the first blaze in California up north because there were teachers that were sleeping in sporting goods stores. Now that makes me look like I'm a saint. Yeah, it does. Um, that was pretty dumb and awesome. At least you got an RV. It's got to be the first RV you had, right? It was the first RV, and it was yeah. amazing. And I stopped taking Ambien. Got a twofer. <laughs> Jumping again. You're quoted as saying, being a lesbian in the professional world is a gift, not a handicap. You've been very honest and very open about who and what you are, but what's been the reaction to the revelation of your 
psychic abilities. Yeah, it was way easier to come out as a lesbian than it was a crazy ghost photographer slash psychic-ish human. I will tell you, I am so lucky to be in the industry that I am because we are the land of misfit toys. We just are. You go talk to any of them, and none of them, by the way, were like the homecoming queen and king and the you know, quarterback of the football team. None of them were. We were all weird. The best place for me to be weird was in this industry. So let's talk about the ghost photographer. What's the journey on the recognition from you had these abilities? When did you feel like you could tell somebody else, uh, this is going on in my head and I think I have these abilities? Mine was a journey through grief. I lost my mom to Alzheimer's. I was absolutely positively devastated. Five months later, lost one of our closest friends to a car accident. It just compounded grief. I am normally a pretty funny human being. I was not funny. I was sad met this amazing woman named Brenda Villa, an amazing psychic, who did a group reading for us. That moment was very pivotal, changed my life. Shortly after meeting Brenda, I started seeing ghosts in photographs. That was weird. I'm going to say it. It was weird. And it was in my backyard. And I got 9,000 of them, if not more now. I think I've lost count. So why did they come to your house? At first, I thought that I'd opened a ghost portal because remember, movies have kind of ruined everything for all of us. We made Poltergeist. And so I'm like, oh, crap. I'm going to be like Carrie Ann. I'm dead. Or Carol Ann or whatever the hell her name was. I thought like it was going to suck our house down into, I don't know, the great hell abyss. And then I later started to learn that they're just everywhere. Were some of them coming to visit me? I think so. How could you not? Like if you're a ghost or... I'm going to say the A word, even an alien. I mean, I'm sorry, people, but you read the book. It's it's in there. If you're one of them and you're like, hey, this lesbian in this corner over here on Sherman Oaks taking pictures of ghosts, I want to go be in one. They must have a club or like at least like a phone tree to let them know what's going on. And I think I was like the top of that phone tree. I see ghosts everywhere. Do I see one in here? No, I don't. Just for the record, I know that's what you wanted to ask me, right? I was going to ask about spirit animals. Oh, you want to say spirit say, animals. You love that. You told me I was a, an eagle was yeah, my spirit animal. So good. You called my kids. You called everyone in my family. And when I looked it up, it, well, yep, they are. It's a weird thing, right? It's like, yep, they are. So please ask me, Julie, how do you see this? How does this happen for That's you? A, pretend I said that. I'm going to pretend you said that because it's a really strange thing. I get asked a lot about, you know, how do you see the other side? And what I see, it's another dimension with the spirit animals, especially sometimes I can see with my eyes open. It's best when I close because they always show up over your head. And sometimes they'll show up like I had somebody what's my spirit animal i'm like well hold on a second i see a fin i can't tell if it's a whale fin or a dolphin fin hold on a second they need to show me and it happened to have been a dolphin at that time so i see them above people's head and they're not stagnant they're moving having this ability has it changed your own sense of life what life is and mortality and life and death and what's on the other side it has changed everything in all the best ways I think it really plays into the fearlessness, right? It's like, whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. But I think what has changed the most for me is now that I have these abilities, it's what I do with them, how I can help and serve other people. People have found me from my book. A couple have become friends. One has become a very close friend. And I just recently spoke to her great-grandmother. I said, she had a nickname for you but it's not a derivative of your name. It's like there's a nickname. She keeps showing me my dog. So all I can tell you is that maybe it was Puddin. 
And she was, that's what she called me was Puddin. Because that's my nickname for my dog. Your great grandmother was smart enough to show me my dog to come up with your nickname that she called you through your life. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Awesome. That just happened two nights ago. And for her to feel more connected is the greatest gift I think that I could ever give. If I am able to connect with someone's loved one who has passed, it's very woo-woo-wee. Remember, this is math and magic. <laughs> it's definitely We believe magic. in them both. You do both. So let's go to the last questions we go to. Besides you, who's the greatest mathematician you know? There is a guy named Peter Mazzanagro, who is the head of Opram, our marketing science agency at Fox, who I believe is the best mathematician that I have ever met. He is Steve Jobs-like. Wow. What is the greatest magician? Who is it? Oprah Winfrey. Wow. I think that she has turned her own life and other lives into gold. Because I think storytellers are the ones who actually run the world. She is a brilliant storyteller, and you're right. That is a magician. By the way, we could go on forever, but I'm going to tell people, read your book, The Ghost Photographer. I had two of them on my desk, and I can't tell you how many people walked in my office, sort of picked up the book and thumbed through it. A couple of them borrowed the book. A couple of them said, I'm getting my own book. So whatever it is, there's a great interest in it, and uh, everybody enjoyed the book, including me. Do you need some more? I'll always need more. I'll send you some more. Free books is like free food. Right? And you had galley copy number one. I do. Brilliant today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Here's three lessons I take away from this episode with Julie Rieger. One, data isn't just looking at numbers. Look at the language people use around your product and the ways they communicate it for deeper insight. Two, data doesn't have to be restrictive for creatives. If you frame it correctly, it should open you up to new potential ideas and spaces that aren't being explored. Three, challenge yourself to look for the stories. It's how Julie fell in love with data, looking at her customers through their behaviors. Julie Rieger's book is called The Ghost Photographer, a Hollywood executive's true story of discovering the real world of make-believe. And it's out from Simon & Schuster now. Check it out. That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to Math and Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Sue Schillinger for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Nikki Etor for pulling research, Bill Plax and Michael Azar for their recording help, our editor Ryan Murdoch, and of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, Mango, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. 
People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair, it's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.